glad that you're here this morning. I'm going to take some time and pray, and then we'll jump right into the Word together. God, help us this morning. Um, we've worshipped you in song. Now we want to worship you through your Word, through our study of it. God, we want to worship you through the way we respond to it. So, Lord, help us this morning to hear from you. Help us to trust that these words that we're studying are um, not just made-up words, they're not just words that are fleeting or going away, but instead they're words of life. They are the truth. And so because of that, we can trust that you breathed them out. You gave them these wor- you gave the authors these words so that we could study them, so that we could understand more about being transformed into your likeness. God, help us not to just have great attitudes and be good moral people. But instead, God, help us to recognize this morning through your, through your word that we are the represent, representatives of Christ upon this earth and that your will is to be done in our lives as, as it is being done in heaven here on earth also. So God, help us this morning not just to leave here with um, encouragement in our souls, not just to leave here with good moral exercises to, to walk in, But help us leave this place this morning with Christ as our Lord. Help us to leave here in obedience to you as we get to walk the rest of this week or the rest of this day. God, help us to be reminded that we are walking because of you, that we are saved because of you, that your wrath is not poured out on us because you, being a merciful God that you are, have given us your Son so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, so that we could have eternal life. Help us not to forget that. And as we walk this week, God, may you be glorified. God, I know many, many within our congregation are hurting. I know many are dealing with loss, loss of health, loss of life, so it seems, God. And so as believers, we call ourselves, God, help us to truly believe in you and your words. God, and put them into practice. And though they are words of eternal life, God, they are also words of today. And so help us to be reminded of that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've been walking our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and so we will continue in that this morning, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We've been uh, working our way through the Beatitudes first, because that's where we began in chapter 5. Um, really, as we, as we sum up the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about walking or following Jesus. That's why our logo up on the screen there says, follow. Um, if anyone would come after Christ or come, uh, follow him, they would deny themselves, take up the cross, and they would follow Jesus. Well, what does that look like? As you and I are following Jesus, what does it look like for us to follow him? Well, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Christ gives us these words, gives us these actions to follow. Um, If you would desire to be like Christ and to deny self and to take up your cross and to walk like Christ, then these are the things that you would be doing. And so as we started the Beatitudes, uh, they're just that to begin with. They're kind of uh, some attitudes. Uh, how to look at other people, how to um, to walk, how to be poor in spirit, how to be how to mourn, how to be meek. 
and I have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then Christ kind of switches just a little bit and takes a little turn. Uh, with these experiences or these attitudes in mind, this is how you, to, how you are to put these things into, into action. So we get to the B attitudes, and then we get to the B actionitudes, where we put these things into action. And he says there in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We could stop there. I could pray. You could walk home, and hopefully you would understand completely through the Holy Spirit what it means to be, to be merciful. God says, Christ says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy. So hungering and thirsting for righteousness is somewhat of an attitude. It's something that we have to, to uh, really encourage ourselves to do. Mourning, poor in spirit, um, meekness. These are kind of attitudes that we have to, to really put in place so that our souls are in tune with the Lord's. And then we get to this merciful business. Um, being people who show mercy to others and not like Uncle Jesse on Full House when he says, oh, mercy or have mercy. We're not talking about just an, an attitude, but we're actually talking about action, putting into place the mercy that has been shown to us and displaying in that and giving it to others. This is why really in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, is, is kind of the, the center of the Sermon on the Mount. When Christ says, Thy will be done, we're talking about a heart issue, that Christ would be at work, that God would be at work in our hearts, and that we would be in tune with His heart, that our attitudes and our actions would reflect who our God is. Our attitudes and our actions would reflect who our Lord is. And if we allow ourselves, or we continue to accept ourselves in lordship of ourselves and, and trust in our own heart and lean on our own understanding, then we begin living and conforming to the pattern of this broken world. But when we allow Christ to come in and change us, we confess Him as Lord. We follow through in our bab in baptism, uh, following Him. When we ask Him to be Lord of our life or acknowledge that He's Lord of our life and we confess that, then we begin saying, I want to be transformed into your likeness. I want my heart to be changed. No longer the deceitful heart that it is, but instead I want you to change it, cover it in your blood, make it righteous and holy in your eyes so that I can be trusting in you leading my life. And then in that, when you've recognized your spiritual bankruptcy and recognize that you have no treasure worthy of eternal glory, you have no offering that you can lift up and say, God, is this, is this worth something eternal? No, no, it's not. Nothing that you have or I have upon this earth will ever be worth anything eternally. Only Christ is worth that. And so because we hunger and thirst for righteousness, because we seek Christ, because we want when we desire to be with God, we, we offer up our lives and say, Christ, stand in my place so that I may be with you eternally, so that I may be righteous, so that I may be holy, so that I may be set apart from the, the sinful world that I, that I live in and be like Christ. And so in that, you have to come to an understanding. Uh, we've heard this if you're a believer. If you've been to church any amount of time, you've probably heard something or, or the word mercy used in some place. You've heard grace. We sang about um, God's amazing grace this morning. You've heard about forgiveness. You, you understand those things to some degree. You, you understand that Christ is a merciful Savior and that He's giving you something you do not deserve. He's giving me something that I, I do not deserve. He shows mercy upon me. But like we talked about most of the summer, 
similar to the Lord, uh, the Good Samaritan story, we see a character in the story that Christ talks about who displays and puts in practice mercy. Puts aside their own wants, their own desires, the things that they treasure, the resources they have, and says, I want to show mercy to one who's helpless. I want to show mercy to one who's harassed. I want to show mercy to one who's in need. Though they are not worthy of my helping, I want to show mercy I want to show mercy to this, this person that's in need. We have to come to that place. When Christ calls us and he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. If you so desire, or if you have received Christ's mercy, and that he has given you, first and foremost, life with him, though you and I are not deserving of that, if he has given that to you, then you and I, in turn, give mercy and put that on display. What Christ is doing in your life, your responsibility as a believer, as one who's confessed Lord, no matter your age, no matter your culture, you are to put on display what Christ has done in your own life and put that on display so the world can see what Christ has done in your life and what's available for Christ to do in their life. Mercy has been given to you and so you give mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy or they have received mercy. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Let's read a little story together. Uh, when you realize your spiritual bankruptcy, and I realize my spiritual bank bankruptcy, uh, at any moment of your life when you realize that, and by that I mean when you realize that you have nothing to offer, you and I have nothing eternally acceptable to offer to God. Without Christ as Lord of our life, we have no treasure worthy of offering in exchange for eternal glory. So nothing you and I have, it's a depressing moment really, nothing you and I have is worthy of offering to God. Only Christ is worthy of that. And so when we realize our spiritual bankruptcy and we see that God is merciful and, and puts on uh, uh, his own wrath upon himself through his son Jesus, giving Christ what we deserve, we, we realize our spiritual bankruptcy and say, what a, what a compassionate, loving abounding in love, steadfast, never changing. Love without boundary, love that, that God has for me. And with that, I want to put that on display and I want to show that to others. Matthew chapter 18, Christ is talking. We'll start in verse 23. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So he had servants, this king did, who had debts. They owed this king something, and he wished to settle these accounts. And so verse 24 says, When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So his debt was really large. He owed him a lot. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. In verse 26, So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of the debt. So we see the servant begging, pleading with the king, I imagine on his knees pleading with the king, please do not sell me back into slavery. Please don't sell me uh, just to settle your own account, but instead forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of my debts so that I may stand and rise 
forgiven of the debts. And what is that? What happens? The king, being merciful and compassionate and out of pity, what does he do? Though the servant is not worthy of this, he extends something, extends something to him that he cannot pay on his own. He extends something to him that he's not worthy of, a, worthy of on his own. He gives him a free gift because the king is worthy of that. The king is a gracious, merciful king. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And then what happens? The servant goes around and rejoices and and tells everyone, let me tell you about how great my king is. Let me tell you about how great my master is. Let me tell you about what he's done for me. Let me show you what he's, let me put on display the forgiveness that he gave me. Unfortunately, no, we're talking about a human here. We're talking about somebody that I grew up with, my own self. This is what happens. Verse 28, but when that same servant, the same servant, not a different one, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. Pay what you owe. Is he, is he putting on display mercy? The mercy that has been shown to him, the forgiveness that has been shown to him, the grace that has been shown to him, is he putting on that display? No, he's, he's acting the opposite. What, what has happened in his soul, what has happened to his debts, he's acting completely opposite of that. He, he, he went backwards, where he had been forgiven, he should put forgiveness on display. We're being shown mercy. He should put mercy on display. Ah, oh, but my, my fellow servant's not worthy of the mercy I received. The mercy I received, I, I was worthy of that. I mean, do you see what happens? I mean, even in our world today, obviously, this, uh, this story here that Christ is telling, because it's God's word, fits through all generations, no matter how long ago it was written. It's being put on display here for us. We get to read it. We get to learn from it. We get to say, oh, that's a terrible servant. I will never be like, I will never be like him. Verse 29 says, so his fellow servant took the same thing, or did the same thing that he did. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. The very same action, the very same words that he himself pleaded with his master, this very servant is saying to the other servant. The very same action, down on his knees, pleading, have compassion, have pity upon me, and I will pay you, and I will pay you. He should have heard it. He should have said, wait a minute, I've heard these words before. It's like when, you're, uh, when your child begins mimicking the things and saying the things that you say. Ah, wait a minute. It's a country song. Don't sing that. Verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. I mean, this is the society that we live in. You know this, right? Uh, this, is, this is the very thing that, we sh- that, that, that should be setting us apart from the rest of the world. We can judge. We can, we can point fingers and we can say, I'm worthy of God's forgiveness. I'm worthy of my debts being paid, but, but you are not. Well, why am I not worthy of my debts being paid? Oh, because uh, your debt is greater. Your debt's worse. Uh, you, you grew up in Oklahoma. I mean, those types of things that we, we put and we say, these are the things that we say, uh, oh, you're not worthy of the mercy that, that, I'm, that I'm worthy of. Uh, why is that? Because it's a heart issue. When your heart has been transformed into the likeness of Christ or when it's being transformed into the likeness of Christ, we will recognize that it's a deeper issue than just where you were born, what state you were born in, Oklahoma or confusion, wherever it was. When you realize that it's much greater than that, then you begin seeing the mercy that God has given to me so I should put on display for the rest of the world. 
He refused and wouldn't put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his, when his fellow servant, verse 31, his fellow servants saw that he, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. But what were they distressed about? They knew the change that had happened in his life. They knew about the forgiveness that he received. They knew that his debts had been washed away, let's say. And yet he acted not that way. Instead, he acted as his old way. He acted as if he was still a slave to something. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. It, little tattletales, right? Some of you are like taking, you're like taking up for this guy now. It's like, oh, those tattletales. There's always somebody. There's always somebody that's going to go to the daddy and say, this is, what, this is what these guys have been doing. These tattletales. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And I think Christ's words are very clear here. When he's telling this story, and he's giving this example, we can make it in relation back to Matthew 5, 7 as he's preaching the sermon, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. He's telling the story here in chapter 18 and he's making the point, those of us who have been shown mercy should show mercy. Those of us who have been forgiven should show forgiveness. You should have acted as your king acted. You should have acted as your master acted. I mean, this is our call as disciples of Jesus. If you are a disciple of Christ, this is your call. If you've confessed Christ as Lord, this is your call. You act as your king acts. You put on display the things that your king has put on display. You show mercy like your Lord has shown mercy. You show forgiveness like your Lord has shown forgiveness. I mean, these are the things that we, that, that we should be known for. These are the things that as Christians walk on this broken world, like these are the things that we should be known for, N- not the many things that I have a reputation of. But instead, we should be known for love, for compassion, for forgiveness, for mercy. And you should not have, uh, should you not have shown mercy like uh, on your fellow ser- servant as I had shown mercy to you? And verse 34 says, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Threw him in prison. Gave him the punishment that he originally deserved. Gave him that punishment. I mean, this is when we, when we say, when I said beginning, um, uh, that the Sermon on the Mount has now moved from attitudes to action. Uh, you should take the attitudes that I've given you. You should take the, the changed life that I've given you. You should take the forgiveness and the mercy that I've shown to you and gave to you freely. And you should put those into action and walk in those things. Showing mercy, showing compassion, showing justice, showing forgiveness. Put those things on display. Though you are not worthy of that, and neither is anyone else, still you take what has been given to you and you give that freely. And then here's where I think it gets really, really deep. Verse 35 says this. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. should be scary words. It should alert us. should get our uh, uh, spidey senses working so we know that this is something eternally significant that Christ is about to say. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. 
Why is Christ preaching these things on the Sermon on the Mount? Why is he talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and mourning and, and poor in spirit and meekness? And now he's talking about being merciful. Why does he say in the, the model prayer that we should pray things like, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who have had debts against us? Why does he say, thy will be done? Why is he saying these things? Because he knows that our heart is deceitful above all else. He knows that there's something inside of us that needs to be changed and only he can change it. Only he is worthy of changing it. And he knows that forgiveness comes from the heart. And when the heart has been changed and is being shaped into the likeness of Christ, then mercy becomes, and mercy is put on display. Since I've been here, in the year and three or four months that I've been here, I've, I've tried to mention to you a number of times a quick little saying, minimize the fleeting things and maximize the eternal king. And until we come to a point where we can minimize those fleeting things and maximize the eternal king, mercy, compassion, forgiveness are going to be difficult for you to share. When life is about your stuff and your needs and the fleeting things that we try and hold on to, it's going to be extremely difficult for you and I to offer mercy. And we see there in Matthew 18, this guy had debts and they were forgiven. And he was thankful for that, that mercy was showed upon him. And then he began walking and his vision left his master. His eyes were distracted from the things of this earth. And he began looking at his earthly things, the fleeting things that we try and gather up. And he began remembering those around him and how terrible you are and terrible you are and terrible you are and how much debt you owe me and how much things I want to gather and gather and gather. And he began focusing on the fleeting things instead of maximizing his king, instead of putting his eyes and his attention and his affection back on his king, he, he began putting them upon himself. Was he denying self? Was he taking up his cross? Was he following his master? By no means. He was not denying self. Instead, he was helping his own self. He was not taking up his cross. He wasn't following his Lord. He was following himself. He was leaning and trusting in his own understanding. He focused upon himself. And because of that, it was really difficult to show mercy to anyone else. And so you and I, both as believers, if you are one, one who's confessed Christ as Lord, if you want to display or if you want to put on display or show mercy because mercy has been shown to you, you have to and I have to minimize fleeting things. We, we have to have an eternal focus. We have to be focusing on our eternal king, the only treasure worth living for. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You may get out of here early today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And then when you find chapter 4, go back up a couple of verses to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. verse. We'll start in verse 16 because I want you to have a little bit of context here. We're going to finish this morning. I'm just reading through 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 here with the idea of setting our minds upon heavenly things, setting our minds upon eternal things in light of every moment of your life, in light of loss or gain, sickness or health, good times, bad times, sounds like a marriage, in light of all those moments in your life, 
What is your task? If, you're, if you have been forgiven, if mercy has been given to you because, because of your Lord and Savior Jesus, your task is to put that on display, to show the world what God is doing in your life, to show the world, whoever the world is, your neighbor, your family, your coworkers, your nurse, your doctor, your chiropractor, the one who gives you coffee, whoever it is, you are to put on display mercy because God has been merciful to you. So here we go in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He's talking a little, he's talking a little bit about uh, Moses here, about from the, the Old Testament, when Moses had to wear this covering over his face because he had been, been in the presence of the Lord. And the Israelites said, uh, basically, cover up your face. We can't stand looking at you because of the brightness, because you've seen the glory of the Lord. But when one turns to the Lord, meaning when one turns to Jesus, the veil is removed. And, and now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Th- think mercy. Think something you are not and I am not worthy of, yet it's been given to us, freed from the, uh, the slavery of sin. Verse 18, And we all, those who have turned to the Lord, we all, with unveiled face, no covering over our face anymore. Our face is uncovered. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. God's glory being put on display so that we can see it. He, the author of Hebrews says that being put on display is Jesus. So we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we turn to the Lord and God unveils our face so that we can see Him in His glory, we are being transformed into His likeness our debts paid, our sin removed, righteousness being clothed upon us, right? And God working in our lives to be more like Christ. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says this, and therefore, so I, I wanted to remember, you have to always see what the therefore is there for, so that's why we went back. Therefore having this ministry, what ministry do you and I have? By the mercy of God. See, God being merciful unveiled your face, gave you forgiveness of sin, is giving you an opportunity to be obedient to the Lord Jesus, to walk with debts forgiven and freedom, no longer bound to this earth, no longer bound to the sin, no longer bound to brokenness, no longer having to be traumatized by things that are traumatic upon this earth, but instead with the hope of glory in Christ, we get to walk in this ministry. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. When you begin to lose heart, you think about the mercy that God has given you. When you know Matthew 5, 7, and you've memorized it, and you say, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, and you know that your job and your task is to put mercy on display, well, you begin to lose heart, and you begin focusing on things of this world, and, and then in turn, you have a hard time treating the Samaritan like the Samaritan would treat somebody. You have a hard time um, acting like a person who's been forgiven. You have a hard time forgiving debts and showing mercy as you've been shown mercy because we focus on fleeting things. We begin to lose heart. But we have renounced this 
So Paul wants to remind us that we are not on this earth to show gimmicks or to sell things or to try and convince people to buy a Kirby vacuum or how great um, our church building is or how wonderfully orange our pews are or how marginally uh, acceptable of a minimal pastor our pastor is. None of that. It's not what we're trying to sell. Instead, our focus is on truth. Our focus is on debts that have been forgiven by a merciful God. Our task is to put on display the hope of glory that we have in Jesus Christ. So with that, we don't lose heart. For we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of our God. Paul's saying, because of the merciful God and what he's done to me, I only want to put on display God. Because of what Christ has done for me, I only want to give Christ to other people. I'm not trying to win people with some cunning or crafty sales pitch. Instead, I want to show them my debts have been forgiven through Christ. I want your debts to be forgiven through, through Christ. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? You want to see God? You must see Christ. Who is the image of God? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. See, the one that was in Matthew 18 that had been forgiven of his debts, what did he put on display? Himself. He put on display himself, though he's fleeting. He put on himself his own treasures. And because of that, he focused on those things. He could not put mercy on display. He could not offer mercy to those who aren't worthy like himself. He could not offer mercy to those in need of mercy because he focused upon himself. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. When we put the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and every other bit of the Bible on display, we put Christ on display. When you exit this world, hopefully at your funeral or my funeral, people say things like, they put Christ on display. That should be your hope. Not, man, what a great father or mother or uncle or sister or aunt or grandparent, but instead, they put Christ on display. Because if the Bible is true when we enter into into paradise because of our Lord and Savior, we enter into God's presence, we won't rejoice. Ah, I'm so thankful for, for my great dad, Matt. I'm so thankful for my pastor, Matt, or worship pastor, Brian, or Sunday school teacher, or deacon, or my eighth grade science teacher who led me to the Lord. Instead, we will be thankful for the Lord. And those who are eternally separated because their sins have not been forgiven, their thought won't be upon, ah, I wish this and I wish this. Their thought will be upon, he really was Lord. He really is Savior. He really was the Messiah. He really was the one that can take away my sins. And here I am, separated for all eternity. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Your debts have been forgiven through Christ, so you put on display the forgiveness of debts. And then this is where I think it just gets, gets even more and more incredible. Verse 7 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
In every moment of your life, sickness, health, good, bad, loss, gain, whatever the case may be, in every moment you say, I still have a treasure. What is that treasure? My merciful God. I have this treasure, this power of God that has forgiven my debts. And I get to put that on display for the world to see. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. How can you be afflicted in every way but not crushed? Because of the power of God, because of the treasure you have in God. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. How can this even be? Paul, what are you saying? You're crazy. We know that people who are struck down are destroyed. What do you mean? It's the treasure we have in our merciful Savior. The treasure we have in our compassionate, forgiving Father. Verse 10 says this, Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since this, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed... And so I spoke, and we also believe, and so we also spoke. In verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. As grace extends to more and more people. As we get to be a part of God's kingdom growing and growing and growing because grace extending to more and more people because we as grace-filled people who grace has been extended to us get to extend grace to more and more people. What happens? Increase of the thanksgiving to the glory of God. Not to our own self or to our own church's name, but to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. I wish so much that the author of Hebrews would have written, instead of run the race with endurance, I wish he would have written something like uh, sit on the couch with endurance or um, go eat at fast food restaurants with endurance or something, you know, like really um, easy, I guess, basically. But instead he says run the race with endurance. And I also wish the race was just a short sprint. You know, just like a, uh, by short, I mean like, you know, maybe like five yards or less. <laughs> by a really short sprint. But instead, it seems to be this marathon. This long distance running. And he says, run it with endurance. Do not give up. Do not lose heart. What, what happens when the race that we're running, we begin to lose endurance? Where do we put our focus? On our own affliction? On how tired, tired we are? On how we're struck down? On how we are persecuted? on how it feels like we've been abandoned, our legs don't work anymore, blood's not flowing the way we thought it should flow. No, we don't lose heart. Though, here we go back in verse 16, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Unfortunately, it's the same author from Romans, so we get kind of the same message when, when Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are no longer to conform to the pattern of this world. That we're to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Holy and acceptable to Him because of what Christ has done for us. No longer conform to the pattern of this world. Because why? Verse 1 says of Romans 12, because of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. 
transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life, being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And verse 17 of chapter 4 says this, For this light, momentary affliction is, is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The small glimpse of mercy that you get to see, the small glimpse of mercy that you get to see, that you are aware of in your spiritually and my spiritually bankrupt life, the small glimpse of mercy that we get to see will pale into comparison as we get to bask with the sun in eternal glory forever. And 10,000 years from now, we will say that light momentary affliction that I suffered through was only for a moment. But praise God that he is merciful forever. Praise God that I set my sights upon eternity and no longer upon this earth. I set my sights upon God and his son. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal or seasonal or only enduring for a while. But the things that are unseen are for eternity or forever. When you and I, believer or unbeliever, whoever you are this morning, when you and I recognize what God has done for you or is going to do for you, when you recognize that and the mercy that he's extended to us, our vision should be set upon eternity. And with that, we offer mercy. We offer compassion. And we offer forgiveness. But if you're like me, as I walk, I become more and more like the guy in Matthew 18, the servant who's been forgiven and is, and is forgetful. We want to forgive and forget, but oftentimes we forget that we've been forgiven. And so because of that, we don't offer forgiveness we want to show mercy, but we forget how often mercy has been showed to us. And so when we set our minds on fleeting things, on things of this world, I'll say it again, it's very difficult for you and I to share mercy. When we set our minds on fleeting things, temporal things, transient things, things that are only seasonal, it's very hard to show forgiveness and offer forgiveness. But when you and I set our minds upon things of eternity, and particularly the only thing worthy of setting our minds upon, and that's Jesus. Then as Christ transforms us into his likeness, and our mind is being renewed every day into his likeness, and no longer are we being conformed to the pattern of this world, to the debts that we've been forgiven of, but instead we're conformed to the pattern of our Savior and righteousness in him, we begin putting mercy and compassion and forgiveness on display. Let me pray for you. God, honestly, it is really easy to get up here and speak to these people and to share things that are not things that I've written. It's so easy to point fingers. It's easy even to coach and encourage people to go and do these things. But God, only you can work in our heart.